Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Ritual Yoga and Energy Healing. My name is Christy, I'm your host on the show, and today we're going to be talking about the Niyamas. So last week we talked about embodying the Yamas, today we're talking about the Niyamas, so it's kind of part two. <laughs> Um, if you haven't listened to that one yet, then please go check it out. I will give a little introduction and recap on what we talked about last week. Um, but just for the full understanding, I think it probably would be best if you listen to the other one first. So if this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome. And if you have been listening since the very beginning thank you so much i really appreciate all of your support and if you have enjoyed it so far then please share it with friends family um, loved ones or whoever you think would resonate with my message so we are gonna get started we're just gonna jump right on in today um so as for a little recap last week I'm going to read the same passage in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Um, it is part two, uh, passage 29 to 32. So, there are eight limbs of yoga. Yama, the laws of life. Niyama, the rules for living. Asana, the physical postures. Pranayama, the breathing exercises, pratyahara, the retirement of the senses, dharana, steadiness of the mind, dhyana, meditation, samadhi, the settled mind. The laws of life are five, nonviolence, truthfulness, integrity, chastity, non-attachment. These laws are universal, unaffected by time, place, birth, or circumstances. Together, they constitute the great law of life. The rules for living are five. Simplicity, contentment, purification, refinement, surrender to the Lord. So, why don't you take a big exhale with me? Big inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth. All right, so that passage is from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And last week I touched on this, but I'm just going to kind of recap you. So if you've already heard this, then just bear with me. <laughs> so the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali was published after the Vedas or the Vedanta, and the Upanishads. So in the Vedas, they talk of the, um, the eight limbs of yoga, but they don't actually talk about eight limbs. They only talk about about five limbs, I think. So a few centuries later, 
when the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali emerged, there were eight limbs of yoga. And the yamas and niyamas are the first two limbs. So if you want to kind of live a yogic life, then the yamas and niyamas are your starting point. In terms of whether you live a yogic life or you just, you're just a human who likes to do yoga, doesn't really matter. Um, the yamas and niyamas are very universal. So they're just this very old um, system, this kind of like moral code of ethics. And I teach with them a lot in my signature program. The first 11 weeks are dedicated to the yamas and niyamas because our kind of inner landscape, what I call our wilderness within, is full of plants that were uh, planted by our family, our friends, our co-workers, our teachers, and all of those seeds can are beliefs, right? And some of them might be limiting beliefs. So what I like to do in my programs is to figure out what those limiting beliefs are, you know, weed those out of our gardens, and then plant in beautiful values that have been around for ages. And those are the yamas and niyamas. So they're basically just these values that we embody and we live with to live a sattvic, harmonious life. So they're just a way of kind of living more with kindness, living with compassion, living in, in a beautiful way, in a very intentional way. So that when something happens, we can go through our list of yamas and niyamas and say, okay, this is what I'm planning to do. Is it nonviolent? Is it truthful? Is it living in reciprocity? You know, we can go through the list and ensure that we're living in alignment with what we believe and what we, how we would like to live. So it's an intentional existence then, right? And isn't that what yoga is? Isn't that what ritual is? It's an intentional um, existence. So I get really nerdy about the yamas and niyamas. I like to kind of go week by week and say, okay, which one am I embodying specifically this week? And then I, every time something happens, I really, really try to fully embody that yama. And so you can do the yamas from the start, the yamas and niyamas from the start to the end, and then you can kind of repeat them. And then at some point, you'll have embodied them to a point where you can kind of just embody them all during the week. But that, that takes a lot of practice. I'm not even there yet, right? <laughs> I don't know if anyone is quite there yet. But there, this continual learning and just this really um, reverent way of living, I think. So that's the reason why we practice these. And the other thing too is if you just kind of want to learn about them and then putz around and see some from time to time if you're living in, in reciprocity or just kind of have them on the back burner, that's okay too. If you hear these and they completely do not resonate with you, that's okay too. Find a moral code or uh, some values that really feel true to you, right? And that's really important that they feel true to you. So last week we talked 
talked about the yamas. The yamas are nonviolent, so living in a very kind, compassionate way. Truthfulness is the second one, and that is satya in Sanskrit. And living in truthfulness is double coined. So are you speaking truthfully and are you living your truth? Um, integrity is the third yama. I call this one non-stealing. It's called asteya in Sanskrit. And it's really, are you living in reciprocity with Mother Earth, with other humans, with yourself? The fourth yama is brahmacharya, traditionally known as chastity, but I personally um, define it as non-excess or containing your sacred energy and kind of scaling back, you know, having humility. And then the fifth yama is non-attachment. So how quickly can you let go of something not working out for you? You know, are, are you really attached to how things happen? Are you attached to outcomes? Are you attached to people? Do you have a healthy attachment style or are you anxious or avoidant? All things to look at. I talk about those in way more detail in the previous episode. So you can check that out if you'd like. And now we come to the five niyamas. And in the, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, they talk about them as the rules for living. So you can see them that way if you would like. I talked about in the last episode how that can at times feel like a restricting way to look at it or a limiting way. And so I prefer to look at it as more of a, an embodiment practice, right? Instead of them being the rules for living, how about what if they were the invitations for living, right? Inviting you to live in, in a more embodied way. So the rules for living, they start with socha. And socha in Sanskrit means purity. And what does this purity mean? I think in many ways this can get misconstrued, right? It can mean, some people can think that it can mean purity in, um, in interesting senses, you know, like uh, purity in terms of a purity ring from the Catholic Church. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about more the purity of the mind, the body, and the spirit. And in that way, it's, it's this ritual of cleansing. So, for example, the, the daily act of taking a shower, right? That's this ritual of cleansing our bodies, keeping us pure, healthy, clean, right? And this cleansing process is in a lot of, of ancient traditions, right? You go to um, beautiful traditions in Southeast Asia and they have water temples where you cleanse at the temple. If you are familiar with puja ceremonies, you have water on your puja ceremony to cleanse. So 
this niyama works so closely with the water element and with the the properties of water and that is its beautiful cleansing ability and so the ways to embody this purity is to keep a clean body and there's so many traditions where you actually don't pray until your body is clean so the purity of body is important the purity of mind is important that's why so many traditions have meditation at the forefront we sit down to meditate to cleanse our brain <laughs> our brain to cleanse our mind right to cleanse this manas of maya maya being illusion so we cleanse our mind of the illusion the illusion that things need to be different the illusion that things aren't perfect as they are the illusion that um, we need more all of these different things are impurities of the mind right and so it's not to say that our minds are impure and we need to cleanse them or that our bodies are impure and we need to cleanse them it's just this this ritual this practice of making space of refreshing of allowing toxins to leave the body allowing toxins to leave the mind to create a more um, inviting space for the divine to enter so that is socha purity the next niyama we're going to talk about is tapas and what is tapas it is not the delicious Mexican food that we're thinking of. Um, although that would be great to go and have after this episode. It is essentially heat. In Sanskrit, tapas means heat. So there's this beautiful old tradition of sadhus who um, use tapas to either yeah to attain moksha or to get siddhis um, i won't go into all of that so maybe another time or i know i talk about it in my programs but uh, we don't have time to go into all of those definitions today but the tapas is a, a practice basically it's this spiritual discipline and it's having this discipline to create heat every day to do something that makes you slightly uncomfortable to stretch your boundaries of this life right to stretch not your boundaries i i would like to um, correct that i think i would more so say to stretch the comfort zones and to see what we're capable of in keeping to a spiritual discipline so if we discipline ourselves to move our bodies for 10 minutes every day that's a spiritual discipline if we discipline ourselves to meditate every day for 10 minutes 
That's spiritual discipline. So it's basically finding something that you know can enhance your life spiritually and then having the discipline to stick to that. Tapas can also be building heat in a yogic practice, right? If you're doing an asana practice and you're creating heat in the body and you're in a pose, let's say, for 10 breaths, it's with, with kindness and compassion asking yourself, can I have the spiritual discipline to stay in this pose for five more breaths? And if you, if you practice in that way, then it, it just kind of stretches this comfort zone because we can stay in a comfort zone for a long time and we can have this kind of, yeah, I do my practices every day, I do my practices every day. But then we're staying at this kind of um, same space. And so it's just stretching them slightly. Um, the sadhus in India have a, a pretty intense tapas practice where every year they will sit in the middle of fire. They'll have like a ring of fire around them and then they will um, have a pot on their heads with fire burning in the pot. And at the height of summer, they'll sit in the blazing sun with these fires around them and meditate to build spiritual discipline, to have this tapas. And what heat in the body and what heat in the mind can do is it can um, bring us to the next kind of level, should I say. It can just kind of, kind of like how water has a boiling point, right? When water boils, it will bubble and it will overflow if it's in, if it's in a container, right? And so it's kind of like um, boiling our bodies and boiling our minds, boiling our spirits up until they overflow and we are left with a pure substance, right? So in creating heat and tapas in our yoga practice, we allow the toxins to overflow out of our pores. We allow the um, maybe the emotions to bubble up that we have been we've been repressing and we can actually feel those and experience those we can boil up um, our, our spiritual like what we need to understand spiritually it's kind of this purification of our system so that we can um, hear with a pure pure like vessel so there's there's a lot of different, kind of ideas and connotations around it. There are some practices that are really intense with tapas that don't technically align with nonviolence. So we need to really ensure that as we create spiritual discipline and as we create tapas, we still live in compassion for ourselves. So for example, if your spiritual discipline is to show up and meditate for 10 minutes every day, even though meditating is the hardest thing for you, then showing up every day 
is a commitment to tapas. But if you wake up really ill one day and you, you can't, you know, like you can't get out of bed, but you really want to like, you still want to practice, but it's doing harm to your body, it's doing harm to your spirit, then that's not living in alignment with the yamas and yamas. So there's, everything always bows to nonviolence. So if doing your spiritual practice is actually violent unto yourself, then we, we stop that spiritual discipline for a moment until we're back to our healthy selves and then we can resume it. Our next niyama is santosha. So santosha is a really sweet, sweet niyama. It, it means contentment. So whenever I think of Santosha, I always think of let it be, right? And in this way, we just drop into the beauty of this human life. That's really the point and purpose of contentment. You know, there's a lot of kind of... Um, of, of doing associated with the yamas and niyamas. And there's a lot of kind of like, we need to ensure we're nonviolent. We need to ensure that we're doing our spiritual disciplines. We need to ensure our vessel is pure. And then contentment and santosha comes along and it says, okay, now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Enjoy this beautiful life that you have been given and be content with what you have. And so it's really, it's really this direction to actually enjoy the fruits of your labors. Really be content with what you have. Be this, allow yourself to lean back enough. Allow yourself to, to drop into your back body for a moment. And just let it be and be content with what is, right? It is, so it is, so it is. <laughs> so that's contentment, santosha. And there is more exploration into santosha for sure. There's um, kind of what's blocking us from doing that and, and all of that, but I talk that about that more in depth in my courses. Then next we have svariyaya. So svariyaya means self-study. And this self-study within us, wow, we can go so many different directions with self-study. But it's, it really is of having this practice of studying ourselves and always becoming curious as to, you know, where can I expand more? Where can I love more? Where can I be more compassionate? Just in embodying the yamas and niyamas and in pursuing that self-knowledge, you are practicing svadhyaya. So it's just making sure that we're always checking back in with ourselves. It's, it's essentially not becoming complacent. Sometimes we can kind of, let's say we use an analogy of like um, a doctor 
So a doctor goes to med school. He learns everything that he needs to know. He or she, she or they. Um, and they learn everything that the teachers teach them there. And they say, okay, great. Now I've got my, my doctorate and I am a doctor. And so they go and they practice medicine. One doctor keeps reading new research papers. He keeps going to seminars and workshops and he keeps expanding his understanding of the human body, of illness, of disease. And then another um, doctor has his degree, is pretty happy with that, maybe has his PhD, is pretty, pretty happy with that, and that's it. You know, I'm just going to go to work. I go to work every day. I do my job and that's it. And so there's kind of two different streams. Do we want to choose a stream where we're actually living intentionally and we're involved in what we do? We're involved in the work that we do. And we're studying. You know, so when you revert that analogy to the studying of the self, we can walk through our lives completely complacent of how we interact with life. Or we can actively, you know, read books and take courses and um, go to workshops, go to seminars, go to retreats to expand our self-knowledge and to study ourselves more in depth so that we understand how we tick, so that we live in a more um, reverent way with the world. So it's basically choosing in between study and kind of complacency. And you can be, you can be along a spectrum there. Um, and at different points in your life, you're going to be at different places. If you're really busy with kids and stuff, you might not have as much time to devote to your self-study. But then when you've got more time, instead of, you know, um, just piling on more work, leaving some space for self-study to be um, a priority for you. All right. Now we're going to shift into our very last niyama, which is Ishvara Pranidhana, which means surrendering our breath to God. And once again, I think I say this every podcast episode, but when we speak of God, we're not speaking in a religious context. We're speaking in a very open-minded, um, inclusive context. Uh, concept. So whether you are Catholic or Christian or Muslim or Hindu, whatever your belief system is um, around God um, is completely inclusive here. So if you would like to think of surrender your breath to God as surrendering your breath to Jesus Christ or um, to Allah or whoever you pray to, you know, in, in Hinduism, there's so many gods, so surrendering your breath to all the gods. Um, or you can just surrender your breath to source, surrender your breath to this earth, 
surrender your breath to the universe, surrender your breath to this um, expanded life we live. So that's really kind of the invitation there. And then what does surrender your breath to God mean? <laughs> and this living with a sense of surrender is a sense of trust. Trusting that your life is on purpose. And trusting that you are where, just where you need to be, right? You're, you're not late to the party. You're not early to the party. You are right where you're meant to be. And it's this deep trusting of God, this deep trusting, therefore, of yourself. And this deep allowing. It's kind of like, are you going to swim upstream <laughs> against the current? Or are you going to let the stream take you and enjoy the way that the water feels on your skin and spot the birds up in the sky and you know point at the clouds and and decide that they're an animal right <laughs> it's this really joyful um joyful point that we can get to where we can trust so deeply that God has a plan for us or that we have a plan for ourselves, right? We can trust so fully that the universe is conspiring with us rather than against us that we can kind of let go in a sense, trust, surrender our breath to God. So that is my kind of short recap of the niyamas. Um, I do have a course called the Yamas and Niyamas, which is this, um, which is this expanded. You receive weekly uh, yoga practice, like an asana practice. You receive a pranayama, a breath practice that pairs along with it. Then you receive a deeper dive into it. So it's usually about a 30 to 45 minute uh, talk specifically on just one yama or just one niyama per week and we go really deep into it i give you different journal questions to um, run with um, you also receive a manual that is a course manual not emmanuel you receive a course manual that expands it so it has a written portion where you can read and kind of dive deeper and then there is journal questions in there and there's book recommendations for each of them so that is the course it is linked below if you would like to have a look at it um, and if that's not a potentiality for you right now or if that is something that you would like to do later, then maybe just starting to notice living a little bit more intentionally and devoting your days to um, whatever moral code that you, you would like to live through, ensuring that you live 
through the intention to be kind and compassionate always. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week and the wild in me honors the wild within you. Namaste.